You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Hello, I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And you're listening to the Australian Finance Podcast. A podcast where we talk about money, finance, investing, and all that good stuff. We're helping you invest your time and money better one podcast episode at a time. Yes, so please subscribe if you like the series. And don't forget you can find us on social media. We're on all the platforms. Kate, where can people go? You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Rask Australia. That's R-A-S-K Australia. Mm -hmm. And I'm Owen Rask on Twitter or Owen Rask AU on Instagram. Beware the imitators. People like to copy us. Without further ado, let's jump in to today's episode. Kate, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. Wonderful to be back, Owen. Yes, it is because we are joined by Pete Wargent. G'day, mate. How you doing? I'm going to slightly out of breath because I've just pegged it halfway along Flinders Lane to be here. But uh, yes, yeah, so great to be back on the show. Yeah. Um, longer than you thought, Flinders Lane. Yeah, well, when you sort of uh, see the name Flinders Lane, you've got in your mind maybe a short Melbourne laneway, but as it turns out, it's about three miles long, so uh, <laughs> bit of bit of a, an effort to get here, but yeah. uh, good here to now? be here. Yeah, <laughs> it's great, mate. And this is actually the first time that you have recorded in our studio here in Melbourne, because you're in town. You're from Noosa, right? Uh, yeah, well, not originally, as you can hear from my accent, but uh, yes, I live in Noosa Springs and uh, yeah, down in Melbourne for a few weeks, though, so just enjoying this beautiful... Uh, Grey vista out the window. <laughs> yeah, well, you've given up the sun for a bit of cloud. Um, welcome to Melbourne, mate. Um, so, people who listen to our investors podcast, which is the yellow one that's in their podcast feeds, and it tends to focus on slightly more, slightly more advanced topics like um, property investing, share investing, so on and so forth. They'd be familiar with you, and they would have heard your vo- voice multiple times because I had you on the show maybe three months ago, and we talked about basically what's happening. What are the, mm. What's the data and property telling us? Um, people would be familiar with you there. But here, uh, first foray on the Australian Finance Podcast, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Like, what do you do? The books you've written, you know, pretty good 
back catalogue, mate. Yeah, well, um, originally English, as you can hear. Um, came to Australia as a backpacker originally to play cricket. I um, actually became an Australian um, resident and then citizen through the points test, the, the skills oh, yeah. test, as it was back then as a chartered accountant. Um, big interest in investing, um, stocks and property. Um, I wrote my first book on personal finance around 2011. Um, so I've been uh, sort of relatively well known in the in the space, mainly for property these days. Um, so um, I guess like a lot of property investors, you, you tend to up, end up a bit top heavy in that asset class because of the leverage, right? Um, so yeah, that's what I do. I've run a buyer's agency for about um, 11 years or so um, in Australia um, and England in London. Um, and yeah, with these days we have a, a national buyer's agency platform called Buyers Buyers and we buy in every state and every territory. So you help buyers right around Australia uh, connect with people, with the experts, but also then find the property that's right for them. Yeah, I think um, a lot of buyers agencies um, tend to just buy in their own patch. And the, the concept behind uh, the business, and we set it up a couple of years ago, is to have a central office where you get independent advice, you know, whether you should buy you know, in, in Adelaide or if you're an investor, do you, should you go interstate or should you buy your home first or... So um, we spend a lot of time with people working on the strategy first before then sort of recommending whether or not they invest in property. I think sometimes people get it a bit, um, I was going to say ask about tits. I'm trying to think of a better phrase. <laughs> uh, the works. wrong way around. <laughs> the, yeah, I think sometimes people, uh, they start with just, well, I, you know, I, I can afford to buy property, so I should buy something because that's what everyone else is doing. But we tend to try and think more strategically uh, because these days everyone has a, a limit to how much uh, borrowing capacity they can take on. And therefore, if you've got a, a limited amount of borrowing capacity, you want to make the maximum or the best use of it. Mm. If someone's unfamiliar with the job of a buyer's agent and what they do, are you able to explain a bit how you help home buyers? Uh, yeah, so in Melbourne, uh, they're often called buyer's advocates, confusingly. The uh, rest of the country tends to say buyer's agent. But it's essentially a real estate agent who, who works exclusively on behalf of the buyer. So um, now you guys have been first home buyers, you know how intimidating it is the first time you buy a property. There's lots of stuff you don't know. Um, a buyer's agent will step you through that whole process and just help you to avoid some of the pitfalls because they're in the market every day. They have access to off-market properties, for example, but they can also help you with the negotiation. So negotiating the best price and terms. So if a buyer's agent's doing their job well, um, it should be really a, at least a cost neutral service, but also that can help you to avoid some of the pitfalls involved of buying property. Think back to when I bought my first place. I really, you know, as a finance professional, you feel like you should know these things, mm. but I had no idea what I was doing. Didn't get a strata report. You know, I bought a place in, in Bondi, you know, like a lot of poms and, you know, overpaid and made loads of mistakes. So if I'd had a buyer's agent just to tap me on the shoulder and step me through the process, could have easily saved on the purchase price. You know, probably um, might have bought some of the cheaper strata fee as well. So. Mm. And the thing is, the first one's really important. You know, I know you don't just work exclusively with first-home buyers, but that's important because that is a massive asset for people. And buying the right home the first time can be, you know, the difference between greatness and a real headache increasingly so i think with with higher purchase prices these days especially in the big cities uh, like sydney melbourne brisbane uh making the first right step is so important and we often say these days even a first home buyer really needs to think like an investor because um 
it might not be first and foremost an investment, but it's probably one of the biggest purchases you make in your life. And um, certainly uh, being a Brit, you know, we've had the boom bust um, economy over the decades. You see people who buy at the peak, make big mistakes. It can set them back years and years, you know, um, in terms of their financial progression, because if they're in negative equity or underwater, very hard to move forward from that. So um, avoiding those mistakes, um, well, it's critical really, because as you say, if you buy well, build some equity, I mean, that can be something that you can then leverage or build on down the track. Yeah, for sure. And before we get your property update for 2022, can I just ask another question? Because we, we cover this on the Investors Podcast, just to set the scene, you, you, like we talk to you about property, I talk to you about property a lot. But um, a lot of people, if we just, I don't want to pigeonhole you you'd like that because a lot of people who've read your books will know that you were basically a, a pioneer before fire was fire. You went about becoming financially independent and you achieved, you achieved that really early. Um, can you just fill us in on that like briefly? How, like how long did it take you and how old were you when you achieved that? Yeah, I think um, if you look, read a lot of the sort of financial, financial independence, retire early blogs these days, they're very focused on uh, buying index funds, income focused. Um, our journey was a bit different because uh, my wife and I were both um, directors of one of the big four accounting firms, higher income earners. Both of us, uh, I wouldn't say we sucked at it, but we weren't particularly you know, high performers in the professional sphere. So our journey and bear in mind borrowing capacities were a bit different uh, mm. back in those days. We went very hard into property. That was our journey, mainly in London, uh, bought a few properties around Sydney during the financial crisis when things had, um, there was a bit of panic around. Um, so look, it was mainly a property-based journey for us. I was mainly interested in stocks originally. It was, um, it was actually my wife, Heather, who got me into real estate because uh, when we first met um she was doing so much better than me and it was largely because <laughs> she'd bought a house when she was 21 in a place called cambridge in england and uh there was that that sort of brought me around to the idea that if you buy well in property that the leverage can help you um so yeah i, I quit the uh the full-time gig at 33 um mm. yeah we we had a portfolio of properties uh mainly in london and sydney but mm. uh, there's different ways to go about it a lot of the fire blogs these days are more focused on dividend income, which Australia is obviously very good for. Yeah. Kate, you're recently a property owner. Yeah. Yeah. It's very different now because all the property episodes we've done, I was mentioning before, over the past four or five years, I haven't owned a property and I haven't really been that interested in property because I've just been investing in shares and ETFs. But mm. now it's a little bit different. This is the first episode we're doing about property where I've actually got some skin in the game. I think uh, it's actually a really interesting point you touch on there. And that is, um, there's definitely a thing when it comes to the property versus shares debate. You're just drawn naturally, I think, a lot of people in one direction or the other. You know, I, could, uh, I remember reading Owen's stuff from Motley Fool and stuff years and years back. And you could just say, he's a stocks guy. You know, and that's, it's not um, necessarily that one's right and one's better or whatever. It's, you know, some people are just more drawn in one direction uh, than another. Now, in my journey, I, I started out mainly interested in stocks because I was a chartered accountant. I used to write annual reports for the listed companies. So I used to think that, well, this must be my edge, right? Because I understand the, the accounting standards. But I've actually um, found from a behavioral advantage perspective, I've found property easier because we've got properties we've owned for more than 25 years, right? Wow. You know, the average stock period 
the stockholding period, you would know better than me, but it's what, probably five months or something these days. And so, so every year when I do my tax returns and you see you know, these properties that we've had 15, 16, 17 years, that's really where I found the behavioral advantage comes in. It's not necessarily you know, that the returns are better from one asset class or another. It's about finding what, what's worked for you and what you, you, what you have a preference for. It's a huge advantage. And I've got to admit, like, I think everyone goes on a journey, right? Um, like, I own a property. Um, you know, I, and I think we are presented with false choices a lot. We, we talk about this quite a bit. Mm. You know, we don't, you don't have to make a choice. You should probably, you should own both, right? <laughs> You're going to mention the uh, why not both meme, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's true, right? Like, we, we do become, I don't know, parochial. We tend to think, like, this is my, I'm going to put my stake over here. This is where I am. That's where you are. Like we can be mortal enemies, um, and you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Money is very individual. Every finance book ever written is like, this is how I made my, uh, you yeah. know, uh, my pile, and you should do the same. You know, it's, whether it's business or property or shares, the reality is um, there's all different personality types, um, and also, as you mentioned, as your life stages change as well, your preferences change. You've got some people have much less tolerance for risk, for example. You know, uh, looking in my case, we had a couple of kids. Suddenly, it's changed my whole perspective. You know, now I don't have to be the best. I just need to not do something stupid. When you're younger, of course, you know, young alpha male, or you know, not so much me, but a lot of people, you know, they have to, you know, they have to try and be the best at everything. Whereas, um, you know, as you go through life, um, your priorities change, and therefore, you know, your asset allocation might change. I mean, I think financial advisors always knew this. You know, the you know, the tilt in the portfolio as you get towards retirement. Um, it, but with asset classes, it's a bit different with property because of the, the leverage involved. You know, the, the risks are actually different. Um, so, yeah, it's, as you said, exactly the right phrase. It's a journey for everybody and you've just got to find what works for you. Mm. Pete, a lot of people are scared about property right now. Interest rates have gone up. Mortgages are more expensive. Um, 2022 is not like 2021, mm. it seems. Uh, How are you thinking about that? Uh, yeah, well, I guess um, one of the advantages of being around for a few cycles is that you've seen this a few times before. Um, I think it will never change. When property prices are falling, nobody wants to buy. And then, of course, the market will turn. There'll be a few headlines about uh, rising auction clearance rates. And then everybody comes back into the market, everyone out together, everyone in together. I don't think that will ever change. Um, I think in terms of yeah, for sure. Rising interest rates is the one thing that has really killed confidence at the moment. Um, if you look at all the other fundamentals, population growth is coming back, lowest unemployment rates in 50 years, um, you know, wages finally actually going up. Most of the fundamentals actually look strong for housing and housing demand. The one thing everyone's worried about is, well, a lot of people haven't seen interest rates going up. Uh, now we've gone, uh, at the time of recording, yesterday we went, first um, interest rate hike that wasn't 50 basis points. We had four in a row, there were 50. Um, so we're getting closer to the top of the cycle. And actually, um, you know, if you look at futures markets or what markets are predicting, the, the, the terminal cash rate, so that's how high it's expected to go in this cycle, is actually a couple of interest rate hikes lower than a couple of days ago. So I think um, people will start to get some comfort that Interest rates aren't just going to keep going up forever. But yeah, for sure, if you're a first home buyer, 
today, you do need to factor in that we'll probably get a couple more hikes yet, maybe three or four. Yeah, it's been interesting because now I have purchased a property. I'm getting those emails from my lender on a monthly basis saying, (laughs) your home loan repayments are increasing next month, which is quite interesting that you don't necessarily know what the payment's going to be next month. Yes, it's um, uh, the worst day of the month for um, email spam is uh, when the Reserve Bank policy decision comes out. I I think I tweeted yesterday, I'm going to go to the gym before I get these 4,000 emails about (laughs) the, the interest rate decision. Um, yeah, and um, that's how monetary policy works, though. Um, and it does work with a lag because it takes a bit of time, firstly, for banks to update their mortgage rate. Secondly, for people to actually realize <laughs> how much the mortgage payment has gone up. And then thirdly, it actually takes a bit of time for people to see that impact. So that's why an interest rate hike today, the full impact might not be seen for 12 or 18 months. So, uh, yes, yeah, it's, um, it's a significant increase when you take a cash rate from the zero lower bound up to 2.6. That's the fastest tightening we've seen since 1994. So, you know, pretty much anyone under our age group and below hasn't seen that before and it can be scary. Mm. A lot of people um, are wondering, Pete, like all of this, all of this change so quickly, should we alter plans that we have with property? You know, should we not do the things that we were planning to do or has it changed fundamentally? You said you've been around the block a few times with this. Do, do, is this a fundamental change with property? You know, people are predicting some pretty scary stuff. Um, I think you'd be surprised. I think um, uh, it's interesting that a lot of the indexes you see, they do lag a little bit. They're, they're often, um, uh, they're, they're sort of, it takes a while for properties to actually sell and then settle and then be recorded. I think in a lot of cases, we have seen prices down 10 or 15%. If you look in, say, uh, Sydney, Northern Beaches or some of the premium suburbs in Sydney's eastern suburbs, prices might well be off 15% from the highs. But I suppose that does come in the context of a 50 or 60% boom just in a couple of years prior. So um, certainly the same in Noosa, right? Prices have come off the highs a little bit. Um, I think the thing I've always felt about real estate, because of the transaction costs involved. It works much better as a 20 or 30 year investment. Um, as a home buyer, it's different because it has to fit around your you know, your life plans and you, you, know, you might look to trade up. But if you're going to buy as an investor, um, you really need to be taking a 10 or 20 year view. Um, so in that context, yeah, you'll get interest rates going up and down through that period. You'll probably have a recession. You know, you've got to expect those things because that's that is what happens over time. So no, I don't think things have changed too much. I think the big thing for Australia, and you can just start to see it now in Melbourne, over the next um, two or three years, there'll be a million extra people in the country. Um, lost 600,000 temporary visa holders kind of uh, disappeared through the pandemic. Um, they're starting to come back, mainly international students so far, but we'll get eventually we'll get um, more tourists. Uh, we'll get backpackers if the flight costs ever come back down. Um, and also the permanent migration cap has been lifted to the highest level in Australia's history. So it won't be long before we see the population go from 26 to 27 million. It's a huge amount of demand for housing. So yeah. yes, interest rates are up, but they're actually up because the economy is overheated. Mm. And that's, I think that's a worthwhile reminder. Mm. Right? And I think, I think the way you started to answer that question is key for me. You said because of the transaction costs, look 10 or 20 years into Mm. the future. A lot of people get hung up on this, like the things they see on TV where they're like renovators delight, Mm. flip it, make money from property. That's how you do it. 
when at your prime example, and we've spoken about this in the past, um, your wife, she, you know, she's held since day one yeah she's we've held never sold a property yeah i do i often fantasize about it because <laughs> you're like you look know, at that bank account <laughs> yeah I, you know you're gonna uh, sell some properties and move to coast to or something but i think as we talked about on a previous podcast but my wife came from a, a farming family and her dad taught her you buy land and never sell it so she's absolutely adamant we're not selling and yeah i think over over time that um that does tend to work i think i think it's, it's not that to say it's impossible to make money from buying renovating or developing property but in the current environment it is very difficult because materials costs are up mm. the availability of traders is well down if you can find one um so it's possible to do cosmetic renovations and make money but by the time you've paid the stamp duty capital gains tax um yeah, there's probably easier ways to make a quid at the moment, I would say. Mm. And given that we like quick wins and the idea of going into a property for 20 or mm. 30 years seems pretty insane to me. Like, how do you reframe it so you go in with the right intentions when you are buying an investment property? Yeah, the the, the sort of um, the visual that I tend to think of, because you're right, uh, we often get people... Even clients, they buy a property and then three months later, what's it worth today? You know, yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. like uh, what's the next thing? Yeah, what are yeah, we doing now? It. Well, it's, yeah, it's a different uh, game, very slow in that sense. Um, and some people actually find it boring or too slow for them. You know, because um, uh, for better or worse, a uh, listed stock or company, you'll get a daily update and there's always more annual reports or releases to read. Um, I tend to visualize um, real estate investing is like a snowball you're just building a snowball for the future i tend to if i buy a property today or some farmland or whatever tend to try and think of it as something for the kids and then not really worry about what's happening day to day i mean it's pretty much what warren buffett would say about buying a stock you know if the if the fundamentals and the earnings are increasing don't worry about the price so much but uh, of course in the modern era that's not a popular viewpoint but because um, everyone wants a quick win, hence the popularity of cryptocurrencies and uh, Web3 investments and all the rest of it. People want money today, but it's actually more about building the compounding machine. Yeah, there's, um, there's a Netflix doco now on uh, GameStop. <laughs> so it's in, the, yeah, it's in the zeitgeist there. Uh, and because you said Warren Buffett, I think Kate has to do a, a shot oh, after this. <laughs> no, yes, I, uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a guy, Jake Beasley, who I know used to... Um, he used to say, you, you you know, you're only allowed uh, 20 Warren Buffett quotes, and if you use up your uh, punch cards, <laughs> uh, you get sidelined from social media. And I think I've just committed the cardinal sin. But, uh, uh, shout out to Jake, <laughs> uh, mate. So Kate went through the journey um, last year, this year, buying a first home. I did it a few years ago. A lot of people listening to this, Monique, just over here. She did it a little while ago. Um, a lot of our audience are going through that process or even they're thinking upgrading, right? And you say, think about it like you're giving it to your kids or think about it like you're, I mean, we're talking about lifestyle assets here. So it's a little bit different. You do mm. trade up and whatever, but obviously that puts a lot of, it will, it puts a lot of perceived pressure on people to buy right, right? So how do you, like, what can, what kind of wisdom can you give us given this is your profession and what you do every day? If listeners could take a few things away from this conversation, if they're in the buying process, what can they think about? Yeah, I think, well, the first thing um, you already touched on there is, have, is to have a strategy. Um, you know, why are you doing it? Because um, uh, although, um, excuse me, it's not um, always popular to say, sometimes, you know, renting is actually better. You know, you can mm. rent, you've got flexibility to move around, invest your money elsewhere. 
um, if you decide to become a home buyer, ideally you probably want to be in that property for a few years to um, uh, to justify the transaction cost involved. Mm. Um, I think, um, and I'll probably make a few enemies by saying this, but generally it's a very general rule. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> probably get a few uh, developers on my case now. But if you buy brand new property, that statistically works out worse for yeah. people because you tend to pay a premium to buy brand new. It's tempting because everything's shiny and new and everything mm. works and it looks looks the goods. But actually, uh, if you buy off the plan or buy brand new, um, you're more likely to make a loss on res- resale. That's not just an opinion, statistically. Because yeah, yeah, it's like buying a new car. You know, it's um, when you come to sell in a few years' time, it's not new anymore. Uh, and so we see that with apartments too, right? So, a lot, yeah. yes. And especially in Melbourne, Brisbane, you know, yeah. people buy brand new off the plan, you know, so it's a bit of a shiny toy syndrome as well. But um, yeah, when, when you sell to the second user, it's no longer a new property. So yeah, generally buying established has less risk involved. Um, and I think that, yeah, the big thing is really the due diligence. Um, and generally, if you look at it in terms of types of property, well, uh, I guess it, you know, there's an old adage in property that sort of land depreciates and buildings depreciate. Um, which, you know, if you take that at face value, you probably want to buy properties with a reasonably high land to asset ratio. Um, you know, if you buy out some, take an extreme example, buying out in the boondocks, you, you're just buying bricks and mortar. Now, there's no land value. Um, so you're probably not going to see an appreciation on that type of an asset. But if you're buying in metro areas where the, the land component um, is higher, then that, that is that generally tends to fare better. Now, if you apply that to a unit or apartment, it probably means if you're buying in a block of 350 units, there's not much land value. But if you're buying in a more boutique uh, block or a townhouse, then you know there is a bit more land component. Um, but yeah, a lot of it comes down to market research, really. Um, if you're going to buy in a strata block, I think some of the pitfalls, buying into places with very high strata fees, that can become a pain in the backside very quickly. And you'll find reselling harder. And uh, yeah, just do do your market research. If you're going to buy a unit, you want to know what's going on in the strata scheme because they're not run by professionals very often. They're run by lay people. So you don't want to pick up a special levy, you know, noise issues, tenant issues. There's there's a lot of stuff you you could fall into. Um, And that's what I was talking about at the start when I bought my first property. I didn't know any of this stuff. You know, looks like a nice place. I'll buy it. You know, (laughs) but there's, you know, there's a bit more market research and, Due diligence to be done, I guess. And you can you can look at because Kate's had, sorry I didn't mean to cut you off here, Kate, but Kate's had experience with this too. But you can look at the strata or body corp. The body corp right? minutes, yeah. yeah. So I mean, you can pay for a professional report to be done, cost a couple of hundred bucks. Somebody will read all the the body corporate minutes, and if there is a significant issue in terms of the sinking fund or if there've been noise complaints or you know there's damage to the block, it will be in the minutes somewhere. Um, it's very easy to buy into a place and then find out in a year or two, well, there's a special levy to cover an issue that was actually known about before. It happens, you know, I've been fallen into it myself as a young investor. And I guess to some degree, through making those mistakes is how you learn, I suppose. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because until you become interested in the property buying journey, you Mm. you know there's fees and costs associated with it that are a lot more than a brokerage fee for an ETF. Mm. But you don't really realize the scope of all those different fees and costs until you actually start going becoming more serious about your property buying journey and all of the different things i like i didn't realize conceptually how much stamp duty was mm. like it was just overwhelming the number of fees and legal fees and 
council and strata and like the different people you need to have a look at the property yeah building and pest inspection if you're an investor you might get a depreciation report um yeah there's plenty of um potential costs you just touched on a really important point there stamp duty so in new south wales we're fighting we've been talking about this for how long a long time um first home buyers from january next year will be able to opt whether to pay stamp duty or not in favor of an annual land tax so i think um Talking about first home buyer tips for if you're in New South Wales and your purchase price is under 1.5 million and you're a first home buyer, well, you need to start having a think about the implications of this uh, prospective change because uh, there'll probably be a bit of a rush on first home buyer properties as soon as the change comes in. I think um, if people don't have the deposit, they'll probably be uh, tapping the bank of mum and dad saying, look, there's no stamp duty now. Can I get on the ladder? So, um, yeah, I think that's one of the things to be across if you're a first home buyer is what are the rules in your state or territory and um, make sure if, the, if there's a, a first home buyer guarantee available or whatever it may be, just across those rules. And that, that's where a professional advisor comes in, right? Because they do that stuff every day. Pete, do you think that eventually that change will just mean that prices go higher because everyone opts to not pay the stamp duty? Um, I think, yes, in the, from the bottom of the market, yes. I mean, if you look at all the... Uh, first home buyer um, sort of boosts and uh, levies and so on. The first homeowners grants in 2008 or nine, whenever they came in, they, they tend to just get whacked onto the sales price. Yeah. So it gets priced in pretty quickly. Uh, that's usually what's happened when you um, when you actually give uh, a boost or a handout or a, you know, a grant or whatever. Um, I, I think the general idea is that over time we'll transition away from stamp duty, which is very lumpy, and pro-cyclical tax towards an annual land tax, um, which is obviously much smoother revenue for the government. Um, I guess um, you know there's arguments for and against land tax. You know it's uh, it's an annoying annual fee for for, for people. If, mm. um, and the, the, the I guess the challenge with it is when you've got people who've already paid their stamp duty, they say, "Well, I'm not paying a land tax," uh, so that's why it can only easily be phased in over time, which is what they're trying to do in New South Wales. So I just got one more follow-up on this point because uh, a mate and I had a disagreement about this recently. Is If you elect to not pay the stamp duty up front, you just take it like a yearly land tax, does that stay with the property? Uh, yes, yes. It's based on the actual asset or the property in case, in New South Wales anyway. So it, may, if, it may be different when other states come to tackle it. So then if you're the next buyer, you don't have a choice. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, but, and that's how yeah. we phased in over time because um, it presumably most first time buyers are going to say, why would I pay stamp duty up front? You know, yeah. it's, it's the old bird in the hand yeah. as is uh, two in the bush um, yeah. idiom or whatever the phrase is. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll edit that in later. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, but that's right. But it stays with the property, not the, not the buyer. So the next buyer of that property will not have a choice. Yeah, and um, then that makes it, so, so I'm the type of person that if I could pay for it up front, get rid of it, you know, because then in 10 or 20 years, like you've got that benefit of not having that extra tax that someone you know, just decided because they wanted to get in the prop- on the property ladder 20 years ago, you're mm. still paying. And that for me is like keeping the holding costs low, right? Uh, I, I liken it to almost like you're making a choice where if we use ETF or index funds, mm. it's like, do I pay the brokerage up front or I'm just gonna pay the same amount every year for forever? It's like an account fee. I'd rather pay it up front. Yeah, there's been an equivalent situation with lenders 
mortgage mortgage insurance True. over the years, right? So you you um well whisper it quietly, but pre two thousand and seven, you could buy with no deposit at all. In fact, in <laughs> in England, you could get one hundred and ten percent mortgages and whatever. But um, but <laughs> there was <laughs> uh, how, yeah, what could possibly go wrong? Um, but um, yeah, I mean, actually, in over the past dozen years or so, you sometimes had that. Uh, if you've got maybe a five percent deposit, do you just say? Well, instead of saving up to get to 10 or 12, it's like just buy now, suck up some lenders' mortgage insurance and I get on the ladder sooner. Mm. I think in a rising market, people generally do that. Yeah. Um, when the market's cooling, then you might be a bit more reticent and you know sit on the sidelines, which is actually exactly what's happening this year. People have got mortgage pre-approval, but they're like, but the market's falling, so why would I rush in? You know. So, mm. uh, um, But yeah, I think you'll find most... First time, it's like the old marshmallow test, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But most people will just take the marshmallow now and not buy the stamp duty, I guess. Yeah, for sure. But what, so, sorry, that's just it's so interesting if, for Owen. Yeah, so say like you as a an established uh, property investor and owner, would you then, when you're buying in two years' time, say, hmm. you're going to take that into account because you might be like, well, I can afford the stamp duty and I'm going to hold it for twenty years. Do you understand where I'm going with this, sir? Yeah, and this is why you'll never get a job in politics because they never think this <laughs> far ahead. This was the whole. Ne- this is a rerun of the negative gearing debate in yeah. 2019. Um, the, uh, Bill Shorten and Chris Bowen went in with this policy. Um, you can still negatively gear a new property, not an established one, uh, no impact on the market, and it's like, okay, that's um, this is what they call like type one thinking in yeah. Daniel Kahneman, yeah. uh, system one. You know, but then it's like, but what happens when the next person? comes to buy this property and they can't negatively gear it, the resale market falls away. So it does have an impact. So, um, but we just went through, uh, you know, let's not bore people too much with tax talk, but we just went through this with the Queensland land tax, right? They yeah, yeah. Um, came up with a plan where they would tax. Uh, so somebody has a rental unit on the Gold Coast or Gladstone, but the Queensland government is going to tax people on their holdings nationwide. And mm-hmm. people will say, well, hang on, I've got this 200 grand unit. I'm getting 10 grand extra land tax because I've got a place in Brunswick or whatever. Um, but it's the, they were thinking very much about the revenue. They weren't thinking about the unintended consequences and the system two type thinking, which is yeah, what's this going to do to the rental market? Yeah, This is actually some of the challenge with the the change to stamp duty. It's yeah. like, it's not really about the first home buyer in January that's the issue it's like what happens down the track when we've got properties with different tax regimes yeah so it's an administrative nightmare as an accountant I'm sitting there thinking well <laughs> anyway but um yeah so it, it will create some of that uh, down the track hmm. I feel like we love complicating our tax <laughs> systems in Australia yeah. Yeah. we have some of the most complicated tax rules in the world well because we've got you know uh, six states and two territories you know um this is one of the reasons actually interestingly uh why um, in, in the United Kingdom, it's mum and dad landlords is not really it's not not really a big thing. You get professional landlords with three hundred properties. Um, in Australia, we tend to have a lot of people with one or maybe yeah. two because you know negative gearing. But if you try and grow a portfolio, then different taxes got their land taxes, and it becomes, if not impossible, it becomes much harder or less attractive. So we we tend not to have many professional landlords, and we don't have big institutions because the land tax kills you. Um, so hence why what we have is a lot of people with a home, one rental property, their money in super because that way you're not getting killed by the land tax. Interesting. All right, Pete, I have two big questions for you that we get asked a lot, whether it's about investing, whether it's about property, whether it's about anything to do with money. 
Is it too late to buy? And is it too late to sell? So I don't know which one you want to tackle first. Um, well, well, this is the spring selling season that we're just going into. So if you're going to sell a property, typically now is about the time. There's enough of a lead up between now and Christmas to have a full uh, sales or auction campaign. So I guess no, um, depending on the market, obviously, but uh, it's not too late to sell. I think in terms of buying, I mean, it, it really goes back to that uh, time horizon. You know, um, I think you know the market's certainly down from the highs. Might have a bit of bit of a way to fall from here, but um, I guess you know how long are you thinking of owning the property for? If you're thinking uh, time horizon of years, then it's probably not a bad time to get in. You've just got to factor in that mortgage rates will will go up a bit from here. Um, so does that answer your question or questions? <laughs> Well, I'm not planning to do it either right now, but I know a lot of people have these questions in mind because they feel like they've missed the boat on either way. Mm. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, usually if you're a buyer, I mean, it's actually, it's a lot easier to buy now than it would have been in October last year. You know, you'd have had 100 people at the open home and you know, 50 people bidding at the auction. But there's a strange social proof in that that people think, well, everyone else is here bidding. It must be a good idea, you know. <laughs> yeah. Whereas when you're the only person turning up to bid at an auction, you can negotiate well, you can buy quality assets at a, you know, a reasonable price. Um, but people feel very uncomfortable with that because, not least because, you know, property gets a lot of media headlines these days. You know, even this morning, property prices to fall 20%. You know, so, well, they might have already come off 10, you know. So, uh, yeah, they all tend to go back to the same two or three experts. Yeah, who predicted a crash uh, two years ago and five years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah there is a bit of that. You, I think it's it's difficult to go against the grain, certainly. But um, as you know, it's so, exactly the same in the stock market. That is generally when you get the best results. Yeah. yeah, I guess given it's such a big purchase and for first home buyers, it's a really scary experience. So we're looking for a lot of external validation that it is the right time to Completely. buy. Completely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I feel like. If I would be much, I would be much happier buying today than when I did a few years ago. Like we've made, like the property value's gone up, but I would be very happy if I was a first-time buyer today. Mm. Um, yes, interest rates have gone up, but if you're a young professional, your income's typically pretty good, and your earnings potential's pretty good. So, I feel like, yeah. That's yeah. where I, I'm an optimist by, by there's trade not, as well. There's not many forced sellers around at the moment. Everyone That's who problem, yeah. everyone who wants or needs a job has got one within reason. There's always going to be some frictional unemployment, but it's the lowest in 54 years or something. Incomes are generally on the way up now. Rents have been going up in some cases at 20% per annum. There's not many forced sellers around. Yeah. Um, yes, mortgage rates are going up. Now, if they went up to, you know, if the cash flow went to 4%, yeah, we'd see some forced selling then. But hmm. um, anyway, I mean, touch wood, we're not going to get there. Looking yeah. at the latest trajectory and the latest uh, futures market. Yeah, well, hopefully for uh, us, Homeowners, come on, you good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there, well there, there are a lot of vested interests in, uh, well, in real estate and stocks. But uh, yeah, you, you're right, though. Generally, people who are not owners are always hoping for the crash, and people who owned, you know, tend to become much more mellow about their commentary. <laughs> that, that is the nature of the beast. Yeah, yeah. Um, mate. So, if we can give you a quick fire question, is the property market about to crash? Uh, no. Okay. Well, in, a, in one word answer, no, I, I think um, the, in fact, if anything, the, the interest rate hikes are having a bit less of an impact now because people can see we're getting closer to the top. Uh, I think the first couple actually were a bit scary for people who haven't seen this before, what's it going to do? But it, I think as well, you know, people read 
sort of doom and gloom media for, for too long. They just get bored of it. You know, most down cycles, they, they don't go for too long, 12, 18 months. So um, I think we've probably seen the worst of it. All right, Pete, what is your number one tip for first home buyers in 2022 and 2023? Uh, I think the main thing is just strategy. Um, you know, have a have a try and start with the end in mind. You know, why are you buying? You, you know, is it because of a, an external validation or you know what? Start with the the why. Is that is that a Simon Sinek thing probably? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, try and try and start with the strategy because as I say, even first home buyers these days, you'll be well served to think like an investor, even if it is a place you're going to buy and live in. Try and think, you know, with a financial mindset as well. Um, and then when it comes to actually choosing the property, it's all about the due diligence and market research. Um, if you're a bit stuck on places to buy, um, we've actually got a, some pretty useful tools on our website, actually, if I can give those a plug. Um, if you go to buyersbuyers.com.au and just look at our, um, our property reports, we've got a tool there called the Where to Buy Report, where if you key in your budget, and some of your parameters will uh, spit out some recommended suburbs, but also the statistical validation for why those suburbs are recommended. It's it's quite a powerful algorithm. It will give you at least some starting points in terms of thinking about where and what you should buy. Is that free, that report? It is currently, yes. Um, currently? Yeah. Get in quick. Get in quick before uh, You'll leave expired. it up for a few more weeks <laughs> <laughs> after this episode goes That's live. That's right. Yeah. Or um, you can always shoot me an email um, yeah. if you're a listener of the uh, of the Rask uh, podcast. Yeah, cool. Pete, um, I'm glad you gave a plug for Buyers Buyers. I know it's a you know it's a startup that you've been working on. There's a few of you working on it now, and it's, um, it's a really good platform, I think, the idea and the concept behind connecting buyers with you know, experts is just super important um, because like, even your your answer there to that last question, like the first home buyers tips is like, start thinking like an investor because it's a big purchase. And I see a lot of people, they just concede. They're like, yeah, I mean, I could, but I'm just going to go buy this apartment. And mm-hmm. sure, the apartment might be right for you. But for some people that think, you know, well, maybe I could have done this or maybe I could have done that. Having that second opinion is so important. So uh, Pete's really prolific on Twitter. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. Too prolific. Yeah, I need he's to a good try and follower. get off that. <laughs> yeah, he's a good follow. Like he tweets every day. You've got the blog, um, the website. So we'll put all the links in the show notes, mate. We really appreciate you taking some time out while you're here in Melbourne and coming in to meet Kate and I. Pleasure. I've been promised that the sun's going to come out for the weekend. I'll be down on St Kilda Beach with a shirt off. Uh, but uh, <laughs> needs to Head get above, down. Bring your binoculars. <laughs> needs to get above 16 degrees first. But, uh, no, it's been great to get down there. Yeah, mate. We really appreciate it. And Kate, as always, thanks for joining me. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rusk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey? 
but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.